Welcome to our podcast series, Five Questions, Five Answers, in which we explore recent U.S. trade policies and U.S. trade rules that can affect thousands of companies. We have a goal in mind to help you, the listener, translate the legal into real-world business strategies. My name is Bridget Matisson. I'm the Director of North American Manufacturing here at Aaron Fox Schiff in Washington, D.C. I get the easy part. I get to ask the questions and I get to choose the colleague or the guest I know will have the right answers for you. So in the next few minutes, I will ask five questions that reflect the concerns we've been hearing from business leaders, all who want to understand the rules, but they also need to mitigate their business risk while increasing their bottom line. So let's start. Hello, my name is Dan Deeb. I'm a partner and the Energy and Clean Tech Industry Group co-lead at Errant Fox Shift. For listeners expecting to hear from Bridget Matteson today, never fear. She'll be joining us shortly as a guest on a panel involving her and three other esteemed colleagues at Errant Fox Shift. She asked me to moderate this panel today while in Sacramento recently for the Global Electric Vehicle Symposium, or EVS 36. Bridget had been invited to speak at the conference uh, with the AFS Electromobility team, who organized a special session at the event entitled The Tangle of U.S. Trade Rules and Their Importance on the Electric Mobility Sector. The Electric Vehicle Symposium, or EVS series, is organized by the World Electric Vehicle Association. It is generally recognized as the premier event for the electromobility ecosystem, from OEMs to battery manufacturers and beyond. The EVS series began in 1969 and is held in key locations around the world, rotating among the US, Asia, and Europe. It was the U.S. turns this year, and Sacramento was chosen as the host city. I understand that Korea is set to host next year for EV37. Um, I was pleased to join Bridget and her colleagues in Sacramento for EV36. It was a sellout event, overflowing with attendees in, from all aspects of the EV space. And perhaps that shouldn't be surprising given the very fast pace of electrification efforts and the substantial support afforded by recent U.S. legislation that is having and will continue to have reverberating effects throughout the global supply chain. So today I get to ask Bridget, David, Tony, and James, the AFS electric mobility practice team about their thoughts and takeaways from the symposium. Let's start with Bridget. Bridget, your presentation, which was terrific, by the way, was entitled The Tangle of U.S. Trade Rules. Can you give us a short recap recap and explain what the tangle is? Thanks, Dan, and thanks for pitching in today. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, Let me say first that Sacramento is a beautiful, beautiful place. So if you haven't been, go there. Um, We chose the title The Tangle of U.S. Trade Rules for our presentation because It is a tangle. It's a tangle of U.S. trade rules that have been on the books for quite some time and added to by some very important pieces of legislation, which we referred to a few minutes ago. You know, they include things like uh, USMCA, the 
quote unquote, uh, new NAFTA, but it's also the tariffs on components and products from China that everyone's reading about in the newspaper. Um, legislation on the use of forced labor on products coming into the United States. Uh, general tariff and classification issues by U.S. agencies like Customs and Border Protection. It's uh, rules regarding Buy America and Buy American. And um, all of these combined are resulting in a an exciting era for the electric mobility industry, but a, an era of uncertainty, uh, certainly regulatory uncertainty as well. It's also a tangle for people within the company and within the supply chain who need to know about these trade rules all of a sudden and need to know them pretty well. Um, not only your traditional import office, your supply chain officer, your procurement officer, but it's your accounting people, your engineers in many cases. And at the end of the day, you need to understand them for not only cost savings, not only for competitive advantage, but also for your company's due diligence efforts in these uh, very, very exciting times. So because of this, whether you're a startup, whether you're a scale-up or whether you have global locations around the world and have been in the automobile vehicle industry for quite some time, we are entering into a very tangled era of regulatory compliance. Thank you, Bridget. Um, let's go next to Tony Rivera regarding the all-important battery. Tony, if if you're an OEM, where are batteries most available? Thanks, Dan. Um, it's actually it's 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 not a, a black and white question. It's a, <laughs> there's a lot of gray, I think, in in kind of making that uh, assessment. Uh, and it's really, um, I would say, a, a supply chain issue. Um, and as we observed at the at the conference um, uh, earlier this month, uh, there's there is production moving to the United States. Um, there's there's onshoring efforts, uh, then, but those efforts are still connected to uh, batteries that rely on uh, on an international supply chain. Uh, you know, extracting critical minerals such as lithium, graphite, nickel, manganese, and cobalt, which are really important to the uh, uh, to the production of batteries. Uh, and those are unavailable in the United States or very limited. Uh, there's very limited capacity of those minerals in the United States. Uh, so we we had understood that, but now it really came to, I think, uh, 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 it was really discussed uh, that that supply chain constraint uh, during the conference. Um, and though, yeah, I guess the other observation there too is that uh, while there's, with these initiatives uh, uh, to bring uh, some of these minerals on shore, um, th like th there was a lot of talk about re recycling methods and and ways to extract these minerals that wouldn't actually be through through maybe mineral extraction. Um, we're still many years away uh, from those options uh, being viable. So um, I think bottom line, I think for the now and really at least for the foreseeable future, it seems that uh, while there might be some final production in the United States or maybe even the free trade countries that uh that the US is a uh, uh, party to and free trade agreements um there's still going to be supply chain constraints and a lot of the batteries are still going to be coming 
uh, from from countries like China that that have a lot of the um, um, access to these minerals and a lot of the know-how to to do this type of production. Hmm. Um, the USMCA and Inflation Reduction Act have important preconditions and domestic content requirements. How are those preconditions and requirements discussed at EBS 36? Yeah, um, so just a, on, an, on, on the note on the IRA and the UES 36, just to, to start, I was a little surprised that, that there, it, it didn't go into too much depth on the IRA itself. Uh, but there was indirect concern, I think it related to the supply chain and the, the limited conditions uh, or the limited access to those uh, critical minerals that are that are needed to, to satisfy some of the IRA requirements. Um, so the, the preconditions themselves are um, uh, they're cost calculations, I would say. They, um, for example, one is a uh, critical mineral requirement uh, that's going to require OEMs um, uh, to identify their the procurement uh, procurement chain for each critical mineral that's used in the production of the battery, and it's going to have to satisfy a fifty percent value add uh, calculation. Uh, there's also a battery component requirement uh, that's similarly going to um, uh, look at the value add, but with respect to the battery components, and uh, those battery components uh, have to be uh, qualifying from uh, North American uh, countries. Um, so these these are complicated calculations. There's a lot of uncertainty uh, still as to how these rules are going to be interpreted. Um, but I think, and, and we saw this in, in Bridget's presentation as well as our uh, U.S. Tangle presentation, we discussed it that there is overlap between these preconditions for you know satisfying the IRA um, and, and the U.S. trade rules. Uh, the U.S. trade rules. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, value content requirements uh, and regional value content calculations that are based on, you know, the cost of the product or the cost of the component or the cost of the production itself. Um, and it's it's important for companies to understand how to uh, interpret those rules and apply those rules, uh, in, you know, in the manner that's you know, within the constraints, but still most favorable to the company. So I think that's that's one of the the the. Um, um, uh, the benefits or how companies can leverage the U.S. trade rules because there's a lot of history in applying domestic calculation rules, domestic content calculation rules, and uh, tracing your supply chain to know where that product's coming from. Um, and 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 I think uh, that will help companies um, uh, either interpret some of the preconditions from the IRA uh, or also um, utilize the other trade rules that are available, like the USMCA or um, country of origin tests uh, to to really uh, uh, overcome some of these supply chain constraints that that, that the companies are seeing uh, with the, as as the industry is developing. Terrific, that thank you, Tony. Um, I'd like to now segue to David Hamill uh, regarding tier one part manufacturers. Uh, David. Why are part manufacturers looking for expert advice when it comes to U.S. trade regulations? Well, Dan, I'm glad you asked because, uh, you know, understandably, a lot of uh, attention on e-vehicles, components that go into e-vehicles are focused on the battery. And obviously, uh, a vehicle has to run, uh, has other parts that are, are necessary to operate other than the battery. And this is where the uh, traditional uh, tier one suppliers uh, uh, come into play. And in fact, they face a unique challenge as well as opportunities. They have to respond to the uh, 
the requests of their customers, the demands of their customers, and their customers right now are developing vehicles both that are uh, internal combustible engine vehicles as well as e-vehicles. So uh, in essence, uh, their work is doubled in that they uh, are faced with having to provide two, uh, two really categories of, of, of parts. Uh, that increases costs. And uh, there's a lot of investment that needs to be done with, with, with e-parts. So any way that the, uh, the uh, traditional tier ones can reduce their costs uh, through understanding of the uh, trade rules, as, as, as Tony and, and Bridget have, have mentioned, is going to be uh, to their competitive advantage. Um, I'd also like to make another observation with respect to these e-parts. I think people have heard of e-axles and e-transmissions, uh, e-brakes even. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that in terms of how the trade rules uh, impact those parts. Uh, for example, is is an e-transmission, is it a gearbox or is it a motor? And how you categorize that product can have uh, far-reaching implications uh, in the trade rules, which can affect the uh, the bottom line. So the uh, the tier ones are a necessary player. I was glad to see. Uh, a number of them at uh, at uh, EV uh, 36, and hopefully, uh, in in future conferences, we'll see more and more of them. Hey, David, can I interject as a, a past moderator? When you say uh, how these parts um, um, interface with trade rules, what you're really saying, right, is how these parts and how they're classified and how they are treated can result in a zero import tariff or a double digit tariff. That's right. That's right, Bridget. And if the designation is incorrect, then the rule that applies is going to be the incorrect rule and you're just going to go down that rabbit hole. So it's really important to understand what that product is, how the trade rules characterize that product. So then the the uh, correct rule can apply can be applied. Um, well, thanks, David. And finally, let's turn to James Kim uh, regarding EV charging stations. James, I noticed, and you probably did too, that the EVS floor exhibitors included a cornucopia of charging manufacturers. What do you see on the horizon for these manufacturers in terms of U.S. trade enforcement? Thanks, Dan. Um, and I think Cornucopia is the right word there to describe what we saw at EVS 36. Um, I think if there was an overriding theme at that conference, it was how important the EV charging infrastructure and these charging stations will be for the future of this whole industry. Because if you don't have EV chargers and if you don't have EV infrastructure, then none of this can get off the ground in the first place. So I'd like to make three observations in this regard um, based on what we saw at the conference and what we know about um, uh, EV charging infrastructure and the producers in this field. Um, the first is that what we're seeing is that there are significant uh, electrical grid shortages that are uh, delaying a lot of these electrification projects. Um, one thing that we heard uh, more than once was that uh, there's significant supply chain shortages right now in uh, providing utility transformers, which are, which are key 
to the electrical grid that would provide the, the necessary electricity for these EV chargers. Um, so there's lead times of more than a year and costs have doubled and tripled for these uh, utility transformers. And I think really that highlights the importance of the fact that players in this field have to be nimble and flexible. And that could include finding new suppliers or investing in new manufacturing facilities. And really understanding the trade rules is a key part uh, of this equation. Um, the second observation I'd like to make is that we know that you know these EV charging stations are made up of a variety of components, you know, including enclosures, connection connectors, and ports and software. But they also include batteries uh, and usually lithium-ion batteries. So a lot of the the challenges and the issues that EV battery producers have will also um, you know be a part of the, uh, the challenges that the the these EV charging station producers will also have in supplying and getting an adequate supply of these lithium-ion batteries or battery cells to be able to produce these charging stations. And I think my final observation here um, is that there's a lot of money in the sector and there's a lot of players, but there's also a lot of uncertainty. So what we saw is that, you know, there's, in addition to a lot of the startups, you know, the new players in this field that are getting into this space, uh, traditional tier ones are also producing charging stations or DC chargers, the, the necessary uh, infrastructure to be able to, to um, power their EVs. And so um, surrounding all this, or, you know, there, as was mentioned by uh, some others already um, uh, in this podcast, there's the IRA, there's made in, US, made in USA incentives. Um, there's incentives for nearshoring and friendshoring. And I think all of this underscores the fact that if you're a player or you're a producer in this, in this sector, you have to find the right balance between localizing your supply chain and also being flexible uh, and you know, making sure you're able to meet the needs of your customers who are trying to get these electrification projects off the ground and they're trying to do it quickly. So that sometimes depends on relying on an international supply chain or suppliers abroad. And to be able to do that, you really have to understand and maximize the trade rules um, in your favor. James, I think you would agree, or I think the whole team would agree, what uh, many of us heard through the conference in one shape, manner, or form is the following. We're kind of worried, and we just don't want to make the wrong decision at such an early stage. And I think that of all of our presentations, um, that was sort of the uh, cornerstone of what people's focus was at the uh at the symposium. Right. And Bridget, I would add that, you know, part of why we established this practice was that so that they could consider the trade aspect, the trade rules aspect in terms of making that decision. And just I'd like to say a word just about our practice and my my colleagues who, you know, I I, I find it are quite impressive. And, you know, we started this practice about five years ago. Um, you, you know, we saw some opportunities. I think uh, a lot of folks looked at us and said, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're putting a lot of effort into something that might uh, 
not materialize. And you know, there's always there's always risk in in in, in investing in practices. But I think we've seen in the last you know couple of years how how you know a, a lot of companies uh, are are looking to folks like us, you know, for this kind of input. Look at EF EVS thirty six over two thousand folks. Uh, Bridget was a featured speaker. We had a we had a breakout session just focusing on trade. And we would be happy, by the way, for any listeners on this podcast to send them our presentation. Uh, I just think that there's more to come, but uh, we've we've established the, the the foundation and we look to build on that. Bridget, do you want to say any parting words? I do. Thank you, uh, David. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Dan. He was pitch hitting today and um, he was with uh, us in Sacramento. And there's a reason why uh, we've asked him as the co-lead of the uh, clean energy, clean technology practice um, to join us today. I'd also like to thank, you know, and a shout out to the Electric Drive Transportation Association. Uh, the acronym is EDTA. Go to their website. You might want to join their uh, association. But they uh, organized a terrific, ter timely and informative uh, three-day conference. It was pretty impressive. I, um, I just want to end by saying one thing. There will be other podcasts on this issue. We will be following up. But I also want to invite anyone that has listened to this podcast and has questions or is uncertain about what you might know or just want to ask us, what are the questions we need to ask? Give us a call. Send us an email. And I'd like to thank, as always, uh, every one of you who has listened today here at Aaron Fox Schiff. Smart in your world, not simply a tagline.